In his letter to artist, St. Pope John Paul II said that human beings, in a certain sense, are unknown to themselves. Jesus reveals who God is, but he also fully reveals us to ourselves. And yet so often we find ourselves asking, who am I and what is real? John Paul II goes on in this letter to say that humanity in every age and even today looks to works of art to shed light upon its path and its destiny. So what does it look like to create and encounter art that answers those deep questions of identity and longing? That's what we're talking about in today's episode. Welcome to Letters to Women, a podcast where we explore and embrace what St. Pope John Paul II called the feminine genius, this unique strength and dignity that we have as women and what growing in that looks like in our daily lives. This is not a podcast about defining the one perfect way to be a Catholic woman or shoving yourself into a box or a set of expectations that you never really feel comfortable, that you never really fit into. Instead, you'll find conversations with women in a variety of seasons of life, and you're going to hear about how they are living out their own unique feminine genius. And all of these conversations are offered as an encouragement for you to discover more about who you are and how you're called to live out that feminine genius too. My name is Chloe Langer, and I'm a Catholic wife and mom living in Kansas City. And I'm recording these conversations after my toddlers get tucked into bed, and sometimes they actually don't go to bed. So you might hear them stirring as background noise to this recording. But it's in these normal daily moments that I've seen the feminine genius at work. And our gifts and our talents as women are so worthy of exploration, and I'm really excited to share this episode with you today. In today's episode, I'm sitting down with Kate Marin. Classically trained in Florence, Italy, Kate is an artist who works to create sculptures, large and small, that tell our human stories. And they're revealed the divine and that always uphold the dignity of each human person. And we're talking about the moment that Kate fell in love with creating and how she's grown as an artist. We'll talk about the way that theology of the body influences her sculpting and how becoming a mother has impacted the way that she creates. I love how St. Pope John Paul II writes in his letter to artists that not all are called to be artists in that specific sense of the term. Yet as Genesis has it, all men and women are entrusted with the task of crafting their own life. In a certain sense, they are to make it a work of art, a masterpiece. So whether you're tuning into this episode to connect with Kate as a fellow artist, or you're a woman who desires to encounter the beauty of God and learn more about the masterpiece of your own life, sister, this letter is for you. This episode of the Letters to Women podcast is sponsored by the Little Catholic Box, a quarterly subscription box for Catholic women. Each quarter, Erica curates unique and beautiful Catholic items around a spiritual theme. I love being a subscriber and I'm eagerly awaiting a box to arrive in the mail, but these boxes are also great for artists and creators and small businesses whose items are featured. I'm looking around my front room here while I'm recording and I'm seeing so many things that I've received in my Little Catholic Box shipments. This throw pillow that's on our bright yellow chair over here, a print on my girl's toy shelf over there, and they're all from artists that I've discovered through Erica's curated boxes. Now, at the end of this month, they have a series of amazing deals that they're only going to be sharing through email. So if you'd like to receive notifications about their end of November deals, you can get those notifications by getting on the list at thelittlecatholicbox.com slash letters. Today, I'm welcoming Kate Marin to the podcast. Kate earned her bachelor's degree in art and theology at Benedictine College in 2012 and continued to teach drawing as an adjunct professor for two years more. She discovered her call to work in sculpture when, in her first experience of the medium, her hands seemed fluent in the language of figure and clay. Her gift led her to the Sacred Art School in Florence, Italy, where her profound experience of this calling helped her persevere in advanced study. Her first professional commission for Holy Family's Return to Nazareth for St. Benedict's Abbey brought her back to the States in August 2019 to begin her career. Kate, welcome to Letters to Women. It is so good to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Chloe. I'm so, so excited to be on. 
So today we're going to be talking a lot about beauty and reality, creativity, and the feminine genius. But before we dive in, Kate, can you tell me a little bit about your story as a Catholic woman? Yeah, so my story as a Catholic woman, I was born and raised Catholic and similar story to many people like that, like found the faith on my own. When I was a teenager, um, made it my own more so. My family always went to mass on Sundays, but went on a retreat in my home diocese, the Salina Diocese um, in Kansas. The Retreats Prayer in Action, just in case any of your listeners know that one. And it was really transformative for me and actually for my whole family. My parents ended up going as well as sponsors. And so I would say that we all sort of had a deeper conversion at that point and then found out about Benedictine College through a priest on that mission trip and went to Benedictine where, yeah, my faith just deepened a lot more. At some point while I was at Benedictine, though, I was actually pretty convinced that I was going to leave the Catholic Church for various reasons. I would say, like, just the way I was living my life, it just wasn't really lining up. And I really like to be very clear, like, the things that I'm doing, I like them all to, like, line up with what I say I believe and who I am. And so just out of, like, yeah, just trying to be honest and genuine, I just felt like, oh, the church isn't where I belong then. When I was having that thought, I was just like, well, but I'm at Benedictine. I could, I should probably make sure I really, really, really am sure of what the church says before I leave. And so I picked up a quick theology major at the very end of being at Benedictine. I think I got my theology major in three semesters and it was like not an A plus theology major, but um, was just there mainly to ask questions and learn. And that was super helpful for me. And I didn't leave the church and not just because of that, because, you know, always there's like a heart conversion that also has to happen. And I think that I'm, I tend to be more like that. I'm like very much the head. I really like understanding things and, and I totally believe it with all my head, (laughs) but, and all my mind, whatever, but the heart, you know, that takes like a lot longer because the Lord just has to do a lot of healing work. And so I would say like my story as a Catholic woman is that it's just a continual healing and a continual deepening. And, you know, the Lord's just slowly claiming every part of me. And so, yeah, I just think that that continues now. And after, you know, getting that theology major and going through a lot more years of like healing. I really thought that I um, was called to be a nun. Really, really desperately wanted that to be my calling and like tried so hard to get into, especially I love the Sisters of Life. So convinced. Anyways, I'm married and have a baby who's six months and I'm an artist. And so, yeah, I mean, God takes us where he knows we're meant to be. And now that I'm in this vocation, it just becomes more and more clear to me every day that this is always who he made me to be. Yep. When it's not what the Lord is calling you, it just does not work. No matter how hard you try. (laughs) I would love to hear a little bit more about how you have grown as an artist throughout the course of your life and training. Was there a moment in your story where you fell in love with art and creativity? It's so much, I guess, like my own personal faith journey too, where there's actually been very few moments where it's been, oh, I'm so in love. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like, I love this. It's very few moments like that. And more of it's just out of conviction that I'm just supposed to do this. Or, you know, I don't know, I just feel a lot of duty. And I know that that can sound kind, I don't know, I feel like people could get weird about that. But (laughs) more of it's just this like strong sense of duty that I feel. And I think why I'm still pursuing it and why I've given made so much sacrifice for art in my life and continuing to try to grow as an artist is just 
I just feel super convicted that it's who I am and it's what I'm responsible for in this lifetime. And so there's very few times where I feel like super in love and just like, oh, I'm just dying to create something. And like, I wish I was that kind of artist and I totally know artists like that. It's more for me. I just, I feel like it's something so important and so part of me. So it'd be like denying part of myself if I didn't go for it, I guess. I don't know. And I grew up in a really small town in Kansas and middle of nowhere. Didn't have a lot of exposure to the arts. When I was a senior, I met this old woman in my town. My dad, he owns a hardware store. And so he works in all these houses in town. And a lot of the old ladies just love my dad very much. And there's this one particular one. And he's like, Kate, you have to meet Bonnie Cram. She's incredible. I just think you guys would hit it off. And so went over to her house once and we did hit it off. We were like fast friends. And I think I stayed there for like four hours or something like that. Bonnie Cram's house is full of art and I'd never seen anything like it before. I mean, all of her kids are artists in some respect, poets and one's a harp player and they're dancers. And she has one son is an incredible painter. And so literally every inch of her walls just like full of art and then she's an artist herself too and she did anything any medium she could get her hands on she did and so she'd had she had like a bust of her husband sitting (laughs) prominently on their dining room table and then like these dolls that she like kind of paper mache together and she's she's just an incredible person anyways I think just witnessing that for the first time I, I think that's when the Lord just really put a seed in my heart there's a different way to respond to the world around you. You know, like here's these people who are from your same town and they're living the same world that you're living in, but they're like making magic out of it. So incredible to me. So actually she started giving me some like drawing lessons. And then that's where I was like decided, well, I'll just study it in college because this is something I need to know more about. And so that was my starting point, right? Oh, this is really neat. And sure. Yeah. Okay. I should do this. And, and then kind of coming back to like, oh, is this something that you just loved? I don't know. It was, it was always more so like I feeling that it was just so important. I felt it was so important that that her house was full of that art and all of it mattered. And then starting to study art history, because I think I took an art history class my first semester of college, and it was just blowing my mind seeing all these civilizations that wanted to be remembered or the thing that they believed in the most. They put so much time and energy building these temples or these immaculate works of art. This is the way that we know anything about most ancient civilizations is by their crafts. And I think I just wanted to participate in that so bad. I don't think that I thought I was an artist. I just thought that it was so important and it just spoke to me and I wanted to be part of it. And so I think that's for sure like the roots of all of it. And I would say that that's still what keeps me here today, right? It's Mm -hmm. not huge love of it. It just is. I love, I love what it is for the world. I like want to be part of that. So that's so good. I love that conviction. It reminds me of in scripture, the man who finds the pearl of great price and sells everything for it because he knows it's important. And yeah. just seeing that uh, you, I can just hear it in your voice that this is, this matters, this matters. Yeah. And I, I, I'm supposed to be a part of it. Thank you. Chloe. Yeah. When I look through the sculptures that you've created, both in person through the Holy Family's Return to Nazareth, but then also online browsing through your website. I'm reminded of just how good the body is. And John Paul II has written so much about the dignity of the human person. Has his theology of the body influenced your work as a creator? And if so, how how has that influence played out? Yes, now. Early, no. I guess when I was first 
studying the art department has changed a lot at Benedictine. So don't think that my current review of the art department <laughs> like still holds. But when I was at in the art department at Benedictine, it was a little raw. Like there, mm. there wasn't, it's definitely grown. I guess I'll just say that. And so when I was there, the emphasis was more on like expression and how you feel and color and movement and all these things. And it was so good for me at the time. It was really therapeutic. It was really exciting. And I don't know, it was exactly what I needed it to be at the time. But the deeper I got into into my own healing, actually, and then really starting with my theology major, I was like, okay, I actually have some more concrete things that I like, I'm wanting to express. But color and shape and abstract movement isn't doing it anymore. To speak about like the deepest things or the things that I just felt were the most important. I just felt like I needed the human body to be able to like dialogue about the things I wanted to dialogue about. And I really wanted to learn how to draw people. And so I actually went and took some figure drawing classes at a different school in the summer, just so I could start having a visual language for the things that I wanted to express. And yeah, the human experience was so important to me, but also it just felt like the human body was the best format for expressing the things. I was at a secular school taking these figure drawing classes, and it was profound. I mean, it was just, there's just really nothing quite like that. I'm married now, right? And I can talk about, oh, a wedding night. And of course that that's so special, but it's actually been two, well, similar experiences, but really different. And I would say equally important, those figure drawing classes really affected me. It was the most, one of the most sacred things I've ever done. And it was in this secular place. But, you know, when a stranger bears themselves before you for the sake of art and beauty and they're trusting you because you know you've said you're there to do a thing and they want to help you create that thing and so when they bear themselves to you in that setting I mean you just it's palpable it's like there's something sacred here I mean it's them it's their soul it's but it's their body too right it's different than when you're just sitting and having a deep conversation with a stranger and they're bearing your, their soul to you. Wow, that's amazing. And it's like that, but even more, yes, theology of the body has mattered a lot to me. Even still, it's like, I can't really say it. I can't quote <laughs> theology of the body to you. But like, as I've read it, I feel like I just know what he's saying, you know, in a different way, because I've had these experiences in figure drawing and sculpting. And just like, yeah, that artistic view of the body. And then in line with what the words that John Paul has written and spoken about it, it's like, whoa, yeah, exactly. Yeah, what he said, that's what I felt. <laughs> so I think it's a huge part of how I create and what I feel like I'm entrusted to do but yeah I'm not like gonna be able to quote theology of the body to anyone <laughs> or anything. I just, but I, I understand it yes I love I love when you were saying how you had a desire to create something beautiful and the only thing that was going to be a medium for that to transmit that desire was through the human body that just makes so much sense I think that I might be misquoting this because I also cannot quote theology of the body word for <laughs> <Okay>. word <laughs> this is solidarity gate but the one the one line that I that I will sum up is 
something to the extent of how the body makes visible what is invisible. How, and this struck me while you're talking about that something that's so almost tangible when you're in these figure drawing classes where it's, ah, this is, this is someone's soul that's being revealed through the perfect packaging of their body for their soul. Like those are integrated and they matter. Yes. Yes. And just that sense of like, I mean, I think the whole like synopsis of theology of the body is that the human body reveals God, right? Call it whatever you want. And I've been around a lot of people who have different words for God, the divine, sacred, love, you know, Mm -hmm. energy, whatever people say. But it's so neat in like a secular environment like that, where you just feel that everyone's pulsing on the same thing. And it is God. But no one really says it, but we're all really honoring of that thing. And it's, yes, it's that person's soul, but it it does go beyond. And ultimately, it's just that. It's like, whoa, God is present in a different way all of a sudden. You know, your first your first professional commission was Holy Family's Return to Nazareth for St. Benedict's Abbey in Atchison, Kansas. And Kate, it's so beautiful. It's so good. Joseph and I were up in Atchison this summer on retreat there with the monks and we spent so much time just sitting with those statues and they're just ah they just call you to deeper reflections so well done it's so good thank you that's so awesome thanks I loved when I was there reading about how you worked with so many models to find the face and the form of these three figures of Joseph and Mary and Jesus how did you find the face of the holy family in those models did you have something that you were looking for, something that you had in mind when you were in that stage of the project? Or were those characteristics and personalities something that captured you while you were creating them, something that you received during the creation process? I think it's a mixture of both. I think it's like you go into these things with a plan. And I mean, I pitched a proposal to um, so that to see if I could get this commission from the monks. And in that proposal, I had said that I really wanted to sculpt the faces in a way that honored the part of the world that they come from. And so that was kind of like my part of my core intention, I guess, with choosing what facial features I was looking for. But the other part too, is I think that it's always really important to take into consideration time and place um, where any work of art is going to be. And even when you're studying art history, I mean, it's so important to know like, where was the original location of that painting or that sculpture or whatever, because like time and place, it just matters a lot. And so I was thinking, okay, well, it matters that I'm sculpting in the year 20, it was 2019, 2020 at that time. And it matters that this sculpture is going to reside on a college campus in the middle of the United States of America. And so just kind of thinking about those things. And I was just like, you know, I really want this holy family to be reflective of that melting pot, you know, that we say we are as the United States. And especially like on a college campus, there's going to be students coming from all over the country. And yeah, I just wanted there to be that universal kind of feeling. And we're Catholic, universal church, you know, all of that. So it was sort of like a, I want these faces to feel like they could be anyone. And yet, if they had to lean mostly towards one thing that it would be, you know, towards the part of the world that they come from. Thinking of those things. And so then when I got to Kansas City and started the project, it became really hard to find models. It was like so hard to find these models. And so I just was praying was like, okay, well, I need to get started. And I need a man and I need a woman. And I just don't even care at this point. It's like, God, please provide. And so 
I, you know, I'd pitched that to the monks and that's really what, that was my heart for the sculpture was I really wanted this multicultural thing. But then I came to a point where I'm like, well, I'll just do whatever at this point because I just have to employ someone and I have got to get going for my timeline. The two, the only two models that I could find that responded to my like massive amounts of emails that I sent around <laughs> was one man and one woman. Aww. So like, perfect, I can start. And it was um, an African-American man and an Eastern European woman. And so they look, you know, nothing alike. <laughs> and so it was perfect. And they were the base of Joseph and Mary. They were the first models that I had and they, that I, yeah, really worked with the most on the faces. But then I wanted, then I was meeting um, a little boy for Jesus and that I was like, oh no, this is going to be so hard. Who's going to let me sculpt their 12-year-old old son? I don't even know. And so, but I found this incredible family and we're really close to this day, actually. They homeschool and so their schedule worked out perfect that they could bring all the kids to my studio and let the 12-year-old pose. And so, and he happens to be um, mixed race. And so he's, his dad is Puerto Rican and Haitian and then his mom is from Kansas and so yeah they he just had this like beautiful blend of culture in him already and so he this is turning into a long story but basically finding the faces I just felt like the Lord provided the models that he knew I wanted but I I felt like it showed me he was in alignment with what I wanted just this kind of blend of cultures and so after that then I started looking for models that had you know various other backgrounds and ended up finding all of them. But then I had to move the project to Colorado to enlarge them. And once I was there, I thought I wouldn't have to do a ton of re-sculpting. I thought it was going to be a lot easier. It's a long story. But I ended up having to completely re-sculpt oh, them from no. scratch. And I didn't have my models because oh, all my models were in Kansas City. <laughs> and so that's where I mean that I felt like it was like a blend of like, did I plan that or is it something I received? I think that, I mean... The Lord gave me so much, right? Like from the first story I was telling about providing these models from such different backgrounds and then helping me find other models that just filled in all the gaps and kind of tied all these various cultural facial features together. But then in Colorado, having no visual reference and really just my memory and some photographs to go off of. And if you've ever sculpted from a photograph, uh, anyone listening, you know, it's like definitely just not the same as sculpting from life. So it just, yeah, I didn't reference a lot of photographs. And, and at that point it was like, Lord, you have to bring this together. You have to help me remember, and you have to help me find these faces, how you want them to be. Like, how do you want your family represented? Because I don't have much reference. And so, yeah, at that point, I think I just like my family lives kind of close to there. So I had them come pose a little bit. So my dad became kind of one of the references for Joseph and then my sister for Mary. But yeah, I think the rest of it was just, yeah, whatever I received from the Lord, like guide my hands. How should I curve this nose? How big do I go on these lips? You know, things like that. I think so often as someone who enjoys looking at art, observing art, especially when it comes to sculpting, I always assumed that there's only one model. And to hear just the beautiful diversity involved in creating something, especially for the Holy Family. What a beautiful testament to the universal aspect of the church, like you were saying, that the, the seeing an inside view of the process is so beautiful and how complex it is and intentional it is. It's so good. Yeah. Well, and for a face like that, it's like, how could just one person be the perfect representation of Mary? And she's mother of us all. I don't know. It just Mm -hmm. is like, no, it makes more sense that 
it would take many, many faces to kind of get close to something that could feel like her or and any of them, right? I think it's so amazing too, because I'm, God gives you the building blocks, which is just so speaking in art terms, it's just anatomy. If you know anatomy, well, then you can blend lots of faces or features together and kind of create your own thing, but you're still in the basis of reality, right? Because like you understand proportionately like where a nose goes compared to eyes and mouth. And so you have a lot of room for creativity and to play with it based on the building blocks that he gave you. If you understand a little of anatomy, then it doesn't really matter if your models switch halfway through or whatever, you can still come up with something, especially if it's not supposed to be a direct portrait of someone. I'm really excited to hear about, hear your thoughts on this question because I've loved hearing you talk about the creative process, how you got involved in it, what that studying it has looked like, your first commission. And and six months ago, you gave birth and you became a mom. Well, you became a mom before you gave birth. But how has becoming a mother changed the way you create? What's something maybe that you've learned as an artist that you're looking forward to teaching your to teaching your child? Yeah. Well, I'm I like love this question so much. I love thinking about my daughter. I feel like it's all I think about. So she's six months and so in that time, I haven't had a whole lot of time for <laughs> creating, so I don't really know yep. how it's um, affected the way I create. But when I was creating this holy family, I just, I wasn't a mom at the time. And it was so interesting because I was like, when people were kind of trying to ask me, well, how's it going? What is it like? And I was just telling them like, honestly, not that I've ever been pregnant or given birth, but this feels like pregnancy and labor like it just it's such an intense process I had a really short timeline for it and so I was working like crazy to get it done and and it was such an intimate thing like I know that some artists like really like documenting the process and sharing it on social media and all of that but for me it's it just it's too personal and it's funny now because I was saying that at the time and then now I know what it was like to be pregnant and to give birth. And I can say that like that was a perfect um, analogy actually for what I was going through when I was trying to tell people what it was like. I'm like, yeah, no, it was. And it was so interesting too because then how I was during my pregnancy ended up being a lot like how I was with those projects. Just it became a really intimate process for me and I not like I pulled away from the world, but I just preferred to be, you know, quiet and at home and not sharing a ton of the details with anyone. It's just so there's not words for it necessarily. And I don't want a lot of eyes on it. And it just is like a protective kind of moment. And so it's like a brooding sort of moment, I guess. I think that those sculptures actually are with the thing that gave me so much strength for becoming a mom mm -hmm. and it was like my first little lessons or school and when I was in labor I did a home birth and it was a really long long two days oh. at home but you know what I thought of so many times that kept giving me the strength was that holy family and getting through that mm -hmm. and during that process I had received like an invitation from Mary at a certain point in the process to to realize that I was in her womb and my sculptures were in her womb. It sounds kind of kooky, but it was it was really like this specific thing I received in prayer. And I really did refer to my studio as the womb of Mary. And I just like I was being created and these sculptures were being created and it was all going to be OK because she was the one doing 
the work, you know, mm-hmm. she was carrying the labor and actually it was, she's not like, you know, as moms, it's not like we're doing really anything to make these babies. They're just being formed yeah. in our, so it's not like it's Mary either. It's just in that way of placing it in her womb, God was doing the work, right? I just think that all of that, all of those lessons and all of those things during those sculptures, it all kind of became the fuel to now like help me in my own family life and to help me in that hardest work that I've ever done, which is labor and giving birth. And so I don't know, I just feel like my daughter is such a part of my art, even if I've not really made much since she's been born. I'm like the way that I know that like she's going to be teaching me lessons that I'm going to be able to use in my work. And I know that my work is going to be teaching me lessons that I can use in my motherhood. And I do feel like a mom to my sculptures, but obviously like not as much as I do to my daughter. But yeah, I don't know. It just all, it's all really integrated. And so I hope that it just continues to be that. And, um, and we'll see where it goes because babies take a lot of work. So um, yeah, I, I do hope that there, there's a way that I can still be that part of me and I I think it it's such a creative work we do as moms every day Mm -hmm. so I'm just super grateful for those lessons that I've received in being an artist and yeah I guess I'll answer that question better in a while like a few (laughs) years not six months after isn't it crazy how transformative that labor and delivery process is I just I remember going into labor and delivery with my oldest and thinking like, oh, I don't know what I will look like on the other side of this. And just being shocked at how much it changes you on all different levels. Completely. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. I could talk about it forever. It's it's amazing. It's so good. What a gift. Kate, you're an artist and I could chat with you easily for another couple of hours. It would still not do the work that you do justice because it's beautiful to look at. Where can people connect with you online? You have you have a website. How people? How can people find out more about your work as a sacred artist? Yeah, I have a website, uh, katemarinart dot com. That's probably about <laughs> the only place online. I'm horrible on social media. I keep saying, "Well, maybe I'll like do something about it," and I just keep not doing anything mm-hmm. about it. I don't know. It's again, it's there's probably various reasons, but I just it's such a, a personal thing for me and. I just have a really hard time. Like, I don't, I have never even posted a picture of my baby online. So, you know what I mean? Like, I just can't. But, um, so just, yeah, my website, I guess, <laughs> is the best place to go. You can email me through that, or my direct email is katemarinart at gmail.com. So, my website, katemarinart.com, or email katemarinart at gmail.com best two places <laughs> perfect nope that's easy to remember I think there's something you said this earlier in our conversation and it struck me as well there's just something so personal about the creative process whether that's motherhood or creating with creating through art and I think it's just it really is beautiful to see artists who honor that process in that way like having it be something that you is just for you at that point and then it's shared with the world at some point or it's, it's done for the sake of creativity. And I think that's so beautiful, especially in today's world where the behind the scenes, I sharing everything it is, it seems to just be pushed as the only way to, to do creativity in today's world. And I just, I, that's just not true. Yeah. Well, and it doesn't, for me, it just doesn't feel that authentic because so much of it is actually like 
suffering and sitting with it for a long time. And I don't know, there's just so many other parts that don't get seen. And I just feel like it's so hard to, I I guess maybe that's just something I need to get over just to be more generous with sharing. But I feel like I just want the chance to share all of it, right? Which is Mm -hmm. why I love things like this, like a podcast where there's like a chance to really explain or like give more detail I like long format things and I can't ever caption anything in like a few <laughs> words so I'm like ah, I'm just not gonna put <laughs> it reminds me of when you were talking about how like sculpting from a photo just doesn't do anything justice like it's not the same as the in-person lived experience of seeing another exactly. human being yes yep okay to have one last question for you tonight uh, and this is a question that I ask every every guest who's on the Letters to Women podcast, and it's this one. How do you live out the feminine genius in your everyday life, um, especially as a woman and a mother, creating works that help call people deeper into the truth of, of their own mystery in their own human dignity? Wow. Um, I, yeah, this is your best question that you ask everyone. And I always love everyone's answers. And I do just want to take a minute just to say, like, thank you to every woman who's ever been on your podcast, because... Mm-hmm. I love this podcast so much and I listen to it always when I'm sculpting actually. And so just like, I just feel like artists have this artists and women, right? Like, so both, I'm going to answer kind of both, but like artists in general, like they um, have this really great opportunity to like show people the reality or to like invite people into a contemplation of reality, what things are real and, and really the most real things are the things that we can't actually sense. God and our feelings and all like all these the sensey things, but that aren't like physical senses, right? That's where art can step in. But I think women do that too. I think like there's just this thing that we have as women that just kind of probably because of our our motherhood, whether we actually are physical mothers or not, just there's the potential mm-hmm. for life. In us and but it's all such a mystery even as we're pregnant and this baby's growing and it's just this mysterious thing but it's like the most real thing but it's not I don't know that mystery I guess is what I'm getting at it is reality you know all these things that I'm trying to say I, that's how I'm living out the feminine genius is just being a bridge for people and anyone other women as well sometimes right but just to remind others that like Reality is so much more than just the things that we can touch with mm. our hands, see with our eyes and experience in that way. I think it's a, an invitation to people that they don't have to be afraid of the mysterious side of life. And they don't have to think that those mysteries are somehow less real than the things in this world. And in fact, maybe they're even more real, both as an artist and as a woman. I think I have this special ability to speak to that whether it be through conversation or just through the art that I make or through being a mom and just maybe someone's witnessing me be a mom and I maybe I'm thinking of this poetically but I mean it's a great question because it does make me consider it myself like oh how do I do that am I doing that well every day I don't know it's neat because it's just another chance that the Lord's taking like through this podcast and recording this right now to kind of remind me like no, this is a special thing about you, Kate. And this is a special thing about the feminine genius and it is yours. And whether I live it out perfectly all the time or not, I mean, it's not even something you have to focus on doing so much. It just sort of is there and it's his gift to us. And so then it's a gift that we can give 
to the world. Yeah, I think so often when it comes to conversations about the feminine genius, that the the temptation can be to think like, oh, that is for other women. That's not for me. I don't do that. And then you just, I love how you sum that up where it's like, it's something that is so close. It's so, so much a part of who we are that we're already doing it. And so much of the discovery process of discovering that feminine genius in our daily life is the art of noticing it um, and growing in better, in better awareness of where God is present in those little moments that we may have skipped over or just thought they were nothing or they weren't a big deal. But in the reality, it's those moments where we're, we're living life fully alive as women and the Lord is present there. And that's the feminine genius. Amen. Well said, Chloe. Aww. Good job. <laughs> yes. Okay. Thanks so much for coming on this podcast. I have been looking forward to this conversation for so long and I've loved hearing more about your story and just, gosh, these are some of my favorite topics. So thanks for making time tonight to chat. No, thank you. I'm such a geek right now. I'm like, just like <laughs> so fangirly and like, oh, I'm Chloe Langer and letters <laughs> to women. I really seriously, my husband knows I've been like super pumped about Aww. this. So thank you so much. Thanks for the time. Thank you for everything you're doing for the church. I mean, I just think that this is huge. Your podcast is so important. So thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Letters to Women. Check out the show notes for my conversation with Kate on my website, letterstowomenpodcast.com, or just scroll down in your podcast player for links to Kate's website, where you can learn all about her artwork, including the gorgeous Return to Nazareth that is in Atchison, Kansas. So if you're in Kansas City, you, it is just right up the road from us. It's if you're looking for just a lovely, peaceful day trip. In the show notes, you're also going to find a link to the Little Catholic Box, which is a sponsor for today's episode. And finally, you'll find a link to sign up for my newsletter, Nap, Nap Time Notes. So every month, month, I share what's what I'm reading, the braggable thrift store find, those little shifts that are making big differences here in the Langer house. And that newsletter will always be free. But if you subscribe at $5 a month, you get early and ad-free access to all of the Letters to Women podcast episodes before they go live. If you listen to the podcast and you love the conversations and the guests of the show, please leave a rating and review, especially if you're listening via iTunes. And if you know a woman who would really enjoy this conversation with Kate, please send this episode her way. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss any future episodes. There are so many good conversations that are going to drop before the end of the year, and I'm really excited to share them with you. If you would ever want to share about a guest that you would love to see on the show or share your experience as a listener, you can send me an email at letters women at gmail.com, and I would love to connect with you. That's all I have for today's episode. So until next time, be not afraid.